Good evening and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 8-8-2017. My name is Jan Johnson. I'm a board member of CASA. With me is Alex Clark, the executive director of CASA. Good evening, Alex. And what is new and exciting this week? <laughs> well, <clears throat> good evening. And um, yeah, I, you know, we just did one of these, what, I know. four days ago? Yes. Five days ago? Yep. So it, it's it's not really been that long, but there is new and exciting stuff. Um, <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> remarkable. August is supposed to be um, sort of a downtime, but um, today, actually, the New York City Council's Committee on Health met. Um, yes. This was a bit of a surprise. We didn't find out about this meeting until yesterday afternoon, Monday okay. afternoon. Right. And um, I only found out about it because of a, of a post on Safada's Facebook page okay. um, and uh, very quickly put out the alert to our friends in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, so this was largely a formality. The real hearing happened back in April. There right. were, I can't remember how many people signed up to speak. I think in total, there was like 90 some people that signed up. Okay. Um, a majority of those people testifying were against these bills. Um, I will nice. say that the convenience store owners um, mm -hmm. were there in full force. Uh, they feel, um, I, I think, unfairly targeted by these ordinances. Sure. Um, the city is proposing to, you know, the, the one one ordinance in particular proposes to reduce the number of tobacco licenses by half. Um, the other, at the same language is in the vapor license ordinance. Um, nice. and, and I guess that hasn't really been talked about too much. Um, you know, what the city council assumes is that uh, tobacco dealers who decide to also sell e-cigarettes will need to get this separate e-cigarette license. Okay. Um, but in reality, I mean, I, it, they may or may not choose to sell e-cigarettes, but the people that this really hurts are the, um, retailers, the, yes. the, the, in, the independent vapor shops, mm -hmm. um, because there are not, I mean, for a, a city with what close to 9 million people, right. um, there's not a whole lot of actual vape shops. There's a lot of combination stuff around here. You have the combination hookah and, um, and vape shop type setup. They sell a wide variety of things. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, but the dedicated vapor retail shop is not as popular as it should be in New York city. <laughs> so that's, you know, a big concern. Uh, anyway, um, I could go down various rabbit holes on all of these ordinances. Um, okay. But uh, notably um, um, commissioner, I'm sorry, council member, Peter Koo, who represents a part of Queens, um, Flushing Queens, I believe, um, okay. which is if, in case anybody's ever seen the, uh, uh, the, the men in black movies. Right. I believe it's Men in Black 2 where okay. the, the alien takes off out of that spaceship in in Flushing is it Flushing Meadows Park. Okay. It's the they're 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 um the ruins from the uh, World's Fair. Right. That's yeah, that's his district, I believe. Okay. 
right. I could be I could be wrong. That's but I, that's just what I think of every time I see Peter okay. Koo. I also okay. think of when whenever I, I think of Peter Koo, I think of his uh, opposition uh, to these ordinances. He is a one of the, one of these bills in particular uh, will prohibit the sale of tobacco, nicotine, and vapor products in pharmacies. Um, of course, the only nicotine product you could buy in a pharmacy would be anything approved for smoking cessation. Right. Um, and uh, he is a pharmacy owner. So uh, responsibly, he abstained from voting on that particular bill. Right. Uh, I was hopeful that he would actually voice opposition and um, he has been, uh, Peter Koo and some other members of the health committee uh, were actually vocally opposed to these ordinances because they uh, were very concerned about uh, expanding the black market. Right. So, um, and, the, and those are really, you know, that's, that's a pretty important argument to make in New York City where over half the cigarettes are sold on the black market. Okay. Um, I know I've said that several times before, but it bears repeating. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I had to take a sip of water there. Um, oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I did not make it to the hearing today. Um, we have filed our written comments and I was at the hearing in April. Um, right. But I would say that uh, Spike Babane from the New York State Vapor Association and a gentleman from Logic eSigs uh, were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I have to uh, commend Spike for, for making it there despite being apparently uh, sick with the flu. Oh, um, but uh, she did raise the point, of course, that uh, the FDA recently announced uh, taking a different approach to regulating um, vapor products and acknowledging the harm reduction potential of, of vapor. So um, excellent point made. And of course, promptly, promptly ignored by the committee. Um, like I said, oh, this was, this, this was largely a formality. Um, there was no substantive discussion about these bills, just sort of lots of um, council members patting each other on the back for being such great leaders and tackling this awful problem of smoking. <laughs> while simultaneously taking away smoke-free options from smokers. Um, so not really sure where this goes to next. Um, and actually, as I'm talking about this, I'm starting to kind of question whether or not we were looking at the entire committee on health or just some sort of subcommittee. Right. Um, uh, this was... Uh, there seems to have been an amendment made. Uh, I believe it may be specific to um, the vapor shops. I don't know. I'm going to have to check. I don't know if the updated language is is posted yet. Um, But the one amendment that they made, which may be for both there, there there are two bills addressing the licensing cap, one for tobacco retailers and one for e-cigarette retailers or the e-cigarette license. And what they have done is said that now you will be allowed to sell your business to anyone, right. uh, I guess, as long as they meet certain criteria. Um, this be, and this is not uncommon for, uh, you know, uh, right. like, you know, liquor store, anybody that holds a liquor license or um, I think there's some other um, 
businesses that fall into this kind of risky business type category. And if you're selling anything that, that is, is, you know, regulated or deemed to be a risky product, mm-hmm. this is not unique to New York, by the way, states and municipalities also have this kind of provision that you have to, um, you know, uh, the, the buyer has to be, uh, they have to own a certain uh, share of the company prior to you selling it. They have to have owned it for like a year or three years. They have to be okay. in good standing, uh, whatever. Like there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. Um, but the way that this was written before was that, uh, you know, you're not really selling this to, uh, you know, an outside buyer. Mm-hmm. You're selling it to somebody who's been with the company for a while. Uh, they, they, were, they were a part of the original license and you're just selling the, you know, you're selling your portion of the, the company to them and they're taking it over. Um, whether or not they would be able to bring on another partner, I don't, I don't believe there are. Um, I, I just, I can't, it, it's, it was a bit confusing to me, but essentially it boiled down to people who own these licenses are going to lose value immediately in, in the investments that they've made. And one of the points that um, Chairman Johnson brought up today was that, you know, Obviously, people have sunk their life savings into their businesses. They've, right. they've, they've invested a lot of money in getting these expensive licenses. So if to lose the value of that, to have their businesses devalued, it hurts them a mm-hmm. lot worse than, than they're intending to do, um, which is sort of a weird consolation because the city is clearly trying to shut down tobacco retailers and vapor retailers. This, this okay. really, you know, <clears throat> so purely window dressing mm-hmm. and they, and, they're, they're, and and there's still a cap like there's just no new vapor shops are going to open up um unless somebody you know who owns a bodega decides that they want to sell their e-cigarette license and someone swoops in and buys it and uses that to then buy you know set up a new e-cigarette shop Right. I, I don't know. So I, I have to look at the language to really get a handle on that. And it's, okay. it's a bit difficult to kind of parse through that, but so, yeah. um, yeah. So, uh, kind of waiting to hear, I, you know, it's, it's not clear. Like I said, this was a surprise that popped up yesterday. So I'm not really confident that we're going to get a whole hell of a lot of notice for right. when this goes to the full council. Um, I am working on updating our engagement for New York City um, and trying to urge people to get in touch with their city councilors. There's a really important point to bring up here. Uh, And I'm putting this in the engagement text for for our people. so leading up to yesterday, I'm sorry, today's hearing, uh-huh. um, I do know that um, at the very least industry stakeholders tried to get meetings with city council members. And, okay. and, and the part I really want to highlight here is that at the conclusion of the hearing in April, right. Chairman Johnson said, you know, it's great that everybody came out and voiced their opinion. That's what this is, you know, the process is for, but make sure that you, you know, take your concerns and follow up with the bill sponsors. Right. And work with them 
to amend, you know, the language and, 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 and come to an agreement here. Sure. That's nice. That sounds fine and dandy. And that's how the system is supposed to work. But when stakeholders are turned away, denied yep. meetings with mm -hmm. these council members, then the system is broken. Well, and that's exactly, system, that's exactly what's happening in New York City. Well, the system's been broken quite a while. I mean, it, and it's not just New York. I mean, I'm pretty sure this is happening other places as well. I mean, I don't. Oh, I know it. I, I, we know it is. I mean, yeah. San Francisco is probably the most glaring example uh, yeah. in, in, in the, for the vaping, vaping community in the last month, yeah. um, municipalities around Minnesota as well. It, it's, yes. yeah, it's not special to New York, but, no. um, it is, you know, on the heels of a council member addressing the audience and saying, Hey guys, we value your input. Come talk to us. And then when people make those appointments, they try to make those appointments to talk to right. them, they're turned away. It's even more egregious. And, it, it, it deserves a little bit of, it deserves a little bit of sunlight because well, it does. I, I think, a... I think we are generally cynical about that part of the process mm -hmm. and, um, and just, you know, sort of him and ha and say, Oh, the system's broken and blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, it's broken and it, and it should be, it should be highlighted and discussed. I think passionately. Oh, sure. oh no, absolutely. You, you have to drag this stuff out into the sunlight or they're just going to go on doing this continuously. I mean, this needs to be something that we address and it not just with vaping issues, with every issue you cannot speak to your legislator about. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the other thing I got, I think I, I kind of got or kind of um, superimposed some perspective on this a little bit. Okay. Um, was, was talking with some people this morning um, about efforts to contact a lawmaker and get a meeting with a lawmaker um, mm -hmm. who has been uh, very difficult to get a meeting with. Right. And um, the quote from this lawmaker's office, not the lawmaker, but their office was, mm -hmm. yeah, we don't talk to those people um, wow. or we can't talk to those people. We can't talk to those people yeah and this was in reference to industry stakeholders um so you know it's it's kind of like having tobacco control people show up at a uh, mainly funded tobacco type uh seminar or um right. conference they mm -hmm. won't do it there's an inherent there's a conflict of interest there they they perceive it as a conflict of interest Right. For whatever reason, they're, you know, if anything is paid for for them or the meal is provided or anything, that's paid for by big tobacco. And so there's a conflict. Um, I think there's a similar sentiment with lawmakers meeting with uh, industry people and their lobbyists uh, that they are being somehow corrupted by this, this viewpoint. And right. again, this is that sort of, this is the even like, these are the, the finer cracks into which the, uh, the all tobacco was bad uh, narrative has seeped. Right. Um, and and it's, it, it's, it's a real barrier for, for everyone having a constructive conversation about this. Um, and I think that has something to do with it. But well, yeah. It's bad when 
they were turning away industry, but they were also turning away regular stakeholders, regular people. At least I know in, in Minnesota, you know, it wasn't just industry people that were getting turned away. And I'm assuming it's exactly the same in all these other municipalities that are not speaking to vapors. I haven't heard anybody in, no one, no one in New York City has contacted us and said, hey, I'm just a consumer and I tried to make a, make a get a meeting with so-and-so and they, they wouldn't respond. I, I may have, I just don't remember it vividly. Well, um, I mean, I, I think which, that's a valid point. That's something we should ask people yeah i mean just so they know it can happen and we need to shine a brighter light on it does that make sense it does it does and i'm sorry for the the silence i'm actually writing that down i mean i i just i think it's important I, if they're turning away regular stakeholders there's a real problem you know that has a believe that's a conflict of like um not sunshine laws but open government laws and maybe i'm wrong i don't know i'm not a lawyer but i i i do know you know problems i've had in various groups before um that has come up and um yeah yeah i'm not really sure and i you know i i assume that they will you know throw every bit of um restriction that they can at, at anybody trying to meet with them. Are you a constituent? Are you, well, they can't deny you just whether you're a registered voter or not. Right. Um, but then also, you know, they're, they are the, the particularly sponsors um, would, would look at this and say, I, I, I sponsored this legislation and I'm just not interested in hearing your opposing viewpoint. I know that in, you know, at least in the New York state legislature, when they have committee hearings, um, testimony is at the discretion of the bill sponsor. And so they, um, they will load up the, the panel with, okay. pr with support uh, and maybe, maybe they'll let one opposing voice in and in tobacco or vapor issues, it's typically a representative from the convenience store lobby. Okay. Um, and, and, and that's it. And even though they make some very salient points, um, <clears throat> they're typically ignored. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, so yeah, that's, that's a, a good thing to ask our members about. And I am probably going to put that together in a brief survey and, and ask our New York city members, uh, and anybody listening, really, if you have any, you know, accounts of trying to schedule meetings with lawmakers and you've been turned away and you are just a consumer, just a consumer. Um, I, I, I think we want to like, hear your story. I, I think we'd like to hear about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and really this is more about, it's less about calling out individual lawmakers. And I think mm -hmm. more about finding out, you it's know, a fact who, finding who, mission. <laughs> yeah. A bit, a bit of deciding what to do with that information, but also, you know, like I said, this is that, these are the deep, deep cracks of that, um, the, into which seeps the all tobacco is bad narrative and, sure. and, and really, I think, um, taints the water, um, mm -hmm. you know, for, 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 you know, regular consumer advocates to, to get their voices heard. So, yes. you know, I, I think it's a lot about, um, trying to find ways to, to fix that. Yeah. <sighs> so, Sorry. I added more to your plate. I didn't mean to. 
No, it's cool. We've been talking about this. So this is a, you know, a good opportunity to ask a pretty specific question okay. to a target audience. So um, it's good. Um, so yeah, uh, New York City, uh, I'll just wrap it up by saying, again, we're looking out for when this moves to, I believe, the full city council okay. um, and not really sure what kind of discussion is going to happen. Probably not much. <laughs> but uh, the the next the next full city council meeting is tomorrow, which okay. would be uh, Wednesday the ninth. Right. And uh, after that, it is August twenty fourth. I'm not sure what New York State requires in terms of notice okay. for agenda items. Um, so uh, it maybe it may have been too late to get this put on the agenda for tomorrow but I'm not putting it past New York city no. to do something crazy <laughs> like that. So yeah. um, we'll keep an eye on that. Okay. Um, the next bit of news, and I feel like I'm glossing over something by moving right to this, but um, so everybody's happy about the FDA, <laughs> right? Yeah. We're all sure. happy. Sure. Well, knock it off. Um, so it, it was great. The FDA came out and said, uh, rah, rah, harm reduction. We're going to delay PMTAs for four years and we're going to look into these other things. Mm -hmm. Um, which first of all, in case you're not really paying very close attention, um, these other things that they're going to be paying attention to is of a, is concerning um, what is going to come out of that. Certainly we need to have this conversation, but it's, it's another issue that we need to apply pressure on the FDA to do the right thing. Um, and uh, that is specifically going to be flavor standards and battery standards. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was about to say product standards, but um, it, it's basically for both of these, it's product standards for, for both. Um, and so, um, that will be done through the rulemaking process, um, which may right. not happen, may not happen immediately, despite what 13 senators are <laughs> urging the FDA to do. Um, right. but it will, it will happen within the next five years, um, probably within the next year or two. Okay. Um, but, uh, first of all, I just wanted to kind of restate some things that we said in our long form post about the FDA announcement. And that was the, uh, um, I forget sort of what's in what's out. I forget what I, I wrote it. I can't believe I forget the title. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, I'm traveling to our Facebook page to, to look up the title. Um, okay. But it's going. the age uh, restrictions are all the same, you know, the, sales restrictions the products like not the product standards but the labeling yeah all of the all of the other compliance deadlines remain unchanged um right. so another that wasn't what i was going to say but another thing to to we should probably just every time we talk about the good news from fda we should probably uh, restate that the other compliance deadlines stand they are yes. not changed uh, as a result of this announcement. So um, I believe, uh, I forget how to phrase it, but the uh, the health, now the, uh, is it the harmful and potentially harmful constituents? Yeah. 
registration, uh, that is due in 90 days. Yep. Um, so, and that's, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, the title of our long form piece was FDA's new approach to nicotine regulation, what's in and what's out. Okay. Now, under the what's out section, uh, right. and this is kind of further down the post, so people may not have read this far, um, but it's a couple of paragraphs about updated language. And this is something that CASA has been pretty vocal about uh, at least within the community, um, certainly in, in offline discussions that we have with people. Right. Uh, and a lot of this revolves around trying to um, appropriate the language of anti-smoking ac activists, oh, uh, saying, saying things like um, uh, secondhand smoke, blah, 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 um, you know, nicotine is more addictive than heroin. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure some people have even claimed gateway, which is really just silly. And I don't think many people actually believe that. Um, right. But uh, yeah, a lot of this kind of revolves around cigarettes being the most addictive thing on the planet, which usually translates to nicotine being the most addictive thing on the planet. Right. That's how, that's how the, the tobacco control narrative has spun things. Neuro-linguistic programming. That's yeah. what they've done. Go ahead. And, and so now people believe not only that nicotine is the most addictive substance on the planet, but it is also a harmful component of a cigarette or, or, right. It is just the harmful component. Um, oh yeah, uh, and, and nothing it, else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, for for example, um, you know, people referring to the stains on your finger as nicotine stains. Um, that's tar stains. That's that's tar, um, not nicotine. Um, so, the the fact that parts of the announcement from FDA did not incorporate an all around updated language was very concerning to us. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, words matter. <laughs> yeah. No, they do. They and, do. you know, I actually, I, I went back and reviewed um, Dr. Gottlieb's remarks not okay. the not the FDA press release, but Dr. Gottlieb's remarks, mm -hmm. and it sort of goes you know up and down in terms of you know continuing to use the same language and then turning it around and um, you know the one thing that I I put a star next to if you print this out it's on page two about two thirds of the way down okay. and it says uh, because nicotine lives at the core of both the problem and ultimately the solution to the question of addiction and the harm caused by combustible forms of tobacco that's the why nicotine um, that wasn't the quote I was looking for <laughs> but no but uh, it kind of is because that's dishonest use of dishonest use of language it's not the harmful part of it it's yeah it, part it, of it. It, it blurs that line because you know it, it's it's it, it, exactly it, nicotine is not the harmful substance in 
um, in cigarettes. And nicotine alone is not responsible for people's uh, dependence upon cigarettes. Um, and so that's it. In in in, in 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 one statement, there you have um, uh, confused the risks of smoking and pinning some of it, any or a lot of it, on nicotine. And you've also ignored all of the other components of a cigarette that keep people coming back for more. So. Um, so yeah, he says things like that and then goes on to say, mm, I don't know, some token stuff about how, you know, e-cigarettes are less harmful and right. um, uh, we cannot pursue a plan to minimize the addictiveness and attractiveness of cigarettes if we can't simultaneously take the time to adopt additional procedural and foundational policies and regulations that are critically important to achieving our goals. That's why it's a package and it's why we need to pursue all of these measures together. That's not, I, that is also not the quote I was looking for, um, <laughs> but uh, it was, it had a lot to do. It uh, it, 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 you know, what, what sort of flowed in and out of the, the, his remarks was, you know, nicotine tobacco bad, but you know, we're going to, we're going to look at making the market pathways easier for these low risk products because right. harm reduction. So it, it, it kind of floats in and out. And it's weird how any nicotine that's coming from a pharmaceutical company is okay. But anything coming from like a tobacco company or a vapor company is not. It's it's just crazy. Well, yeah, because I mean, you deciding for yourself what is pleasurable and and enjoyable is, you know, Wrong. Jan, <laughs> just you and I are not capable of making those decisions without some <laughs> sort of leadership from the government. <laughs> sure, <laughs> that's so, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I, I was looking for, I was looking for some specific phrases here, but so the one, the one thing that's going to stick out to people is, um, or that should stick out to people in any statement coming from anybody who claims to be a friend of vaping. I don't care if they own a vape shop mm -hmm. or if they were an investor in a large vapor company and happen to be the head of a regulatory agency at this point. The words preventable disease and death are a dog whistle for tobacco control people. Of course. Um, it, it, first of all, their preventable death is a total myth. <laughs> um, you are preventable disease, maybe, but preventable death, no. What we're talking about here is early death. That statement is typically followed by or preceded by, uh, caused by smoking or, um, smoking related uh, again dog whistles and the mm -hmm. the word the words here matter there the the operative the word that that should be used in that phrase right. is attributed to these are early deaths and illness attributed to smoking because of the way that these things are are reported by medical professionals and i use myself as an example if i were to develop some quote unquote smoking related disease mm -hmm. uh, lung cancer copd or 
um, uh, you know, heart disease or, or whatever, even diabetes. If I, if I develop diabetes, um, it is likely that any one of those would be attributed to smoking. It may not be the cause. I, I, I got to say, you know, I have had, I've made some pretty crappy diet choices in my <laughs> life. I don't right. exercise. Um, you know, I quit smoking four years ago, still not out of the kind of the danger zone, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, no matter it's, they just sort of have that, you know, Oh yeah, you were a smoker for 21 years. This likely because you were a smoker. So we're going to check that box and say that your whatever disease is yeah. related to smoking. That's how the reporting goes. And I believe I, I'm not, I don't have any evidence to back this up. Maybe you, sure. you, you understand this more than I do. And you've <laughs> I been do. doing this, you've been doing this longer, but yeah. I believe that the medical professionals are actually encouraged to make those reports that way. They are. Um, there's a really, and, and I will get the links for it. There's a couple of really interesting articles. Um, a lot of the reason all of this stuff is attributed to smoking is, have you ever heard of SAMIC? I, I, I believe I've heard the acronym. I can't. Okay. SAMIC, SAMIC is a statistical modeling computer that they feed all this information into and they change a variable here and a variable there. If they tweak it just right, they can make the deaths rise for anything exponentially. Um, there is a Canadian nurse who was doing epidemiological research into the flu and she tried to get actual numbers for deaths from the flu and she got the numbers found out they had been run through SAMEC and magically worked on in SAMEC and all of a sudden all these people were dying of the flu there were like 900 people in this one province of Canada and she couldn't figure out why so she went back into the reporting and looked a little deeper um it was in the winter. People fell and broke their legs and died after they broke their legs. That was attributable to that. Um, people who had been shot in the winter, that was attributable to that. People who fell and broke their own necks, they were counted in that just because of the way Semek had done the statistical modeling hmm. for flu deaths. So <clears throat> that that is one of the reasons that they do that. But they are, in fact, encouraged to label things that way. The doctors are. And it's because of funding for programs, government programs. Yeah. yeah, which which you know that 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 funding portion also explains why, although the smoking rate has declined at a pretty good clip, yes, uh, the number of people dying every year from smoking attributed diseases has pretty much stayed the same. It's yes. you know four hundred and thirty thousand something like that, four hundred eighty thousand. I can't remember. Uh, and also I remember actually when I first started getting into this stuff, um, Mm -hmm. right about that time, depending on who you asked and what their agenda was, the number of smokers in the United States was either 48 million or 51 million. Oh yeah. And you, you really need, you need to read velvet glove iron fist. I started reading it. I I suck at reading books. So (laughs) Christopher Snowden needs to hire me to read it so he can release it as a free audio book. Nice. I'm just, he doesn't even have to hire me. I'd probably just do it. I should probably just read, get Barry to record me reading a chapter of it a week, and then we could maybe put it out on the Casa YouTubes or something <laughs> so people could hear well, it. Just a to, thought. Talk to Mr. Snowden about it. We'll see. I will have to. Yeah. <laughs> just a thought. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah. So anyway, uh, that, that was, you know, uh, again, these are, are, and I'm using this phrase because I heard it in, in relation to like white supremacist groups, um, this, this weekend. Uh, but these are, these little dog whistle phrases, um, that I believe are meant to sort of appease the tobacco control folks, or at least, uh, validate them in some way. I mean, there's really no question that part of the FDA's announcement was intended to assuage some of their concerns. This is, uh, this is a bit of, I think, the agency's effort to 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 really bring in some of the more um, uh, progressive. I hate to use that term in conjunction with this whole conversation because I don't think that tobacco control is really that progressive. They're um, regressive. Uh, the uh, the uh, left leaning, um, the they're not, they're not leaning. Um, the the folks on the left who are. are uh, generally very defensive of the Tobacco Control Act. Um, so, you know, there, there really is no question that we are going to need bipartisan support going forward with any of these changes. So, oh, yeah. um, you know, a bit of this has to appeal to their senses. And a lot of them were very supportive of the whole, um, you know, regulating nicotine levels in um, in cigarettes. Right. Um, and a lot of the, the announcements that we've seen have sort of quickly fired back and said, you know, but this this nonsense with letting the e-cigs off the hook. That's, that's not, that's not good. And we want more, <laughs> we want more action from you. So, yeah. um, so in keeping with their efforts to assuage the fears to, um, oh, what's another word I can, uh, fillet isn't really the word to use here, but, um, uh, no, um, appease that's it appease the uh tobacco control folks uh today the fda announced an expansion of their public edu education campaign to focus on prevention of youth e-cigarette use and in case you are unfamiliar with what this public education campaign is it is the real cost campaign um, the real cost was used to send misinformation about smokeless tobacco recently. Yep. Um, you may recall the photo of a, a guy with the, 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 the uh, trademark circle uh, fade pattern in their back pocket um, mm -hmm. from a, a, uh, a smokeless tobacco tin right. um, to which I responded with the real cost was, you know, what holes in your jeans? I, you know, <laughs> I need um, new patches on my yeah, jeans. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, and you know, this is going to be a, this is going to be a, a disinformation campaign targeted at kids, mm -hmm. uh, telling them about the dangers of e-cigarettes, and you know, probably the only thing that <laughs> I think is is in that kind of gray area that might cause people to kind of go, hmm, maybe maybe that's a point. And it's it's a it's a relatively new thing, but and it and it really does play into the whole gateway theory. Um, mm -hmm. But it's this idea that um, by using nicotine as a young person, it's rewiring your brain to number one, crave more nicotine, and number two, potentially use other mood altering substances. Um, so like coffee, you wouldn't want to have a child drink coffee ever, ever. I, ha I haven't seen any kind of real cost campaign about coffee. Oh, give it time. <laughs> or, or caffeine, by the way. Um, 
yeah. I, I don't know. Now, I'm pretty sure that somebody has done research into whether or not sugar is a gateway to cocaine. Um, I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I'm there's sorry. any I don't know if there's any stone left unturned here. I, I you know, like I'm sure that like bacon and a cheese cheese is addictive. Cheese is addictive. Yeah. Cheddar um, cheese has uh, MAOIs. And, just like and smokeless tobacco. Is it, is it casein or casein? Casein, some 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 milk chemical that uh-huh. makes you feel all dopey. Um, so yeah, all of these things, arguably, if, if we're going to talk about that being the problem with nicotine, right. then arguably all of these foods and, and your Starbucks, they're all gateway drugs. Well, uh, it's they all just, are. It's all gateway drugs. Um, well, I mean, a Starbucks, a flavored Starbucks Frappuccino, you give that to a child. Oh my God. You're setting them up for like a lifetime of addiction and possibly obesity and early death. Yeah. I'm not really sure when I was allowed to drink coffee. I don't know if there was ever actually. I was, um, I was 13 when I started drinking it cause I had to get up for school so early. Yeah. I can't remember. I, I know I didn't really develop a taste for coffee until later in life. Right. Um, but uh, I do remember that. I, I think they, do they still make no dose? Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I yeah. remember, I remember taking those in high school. Um, yeah, that was interesting. Um, but you know, basically just caffeine pills. Um, sure. so, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I can't really sit here and say like, I turned out fine because I spent, <laughs> you know, 10 years drinking and, and using drugs. Um, but you know, I, I did eventually with some help turn my life around. Um, do you know but, there's a lot of do you know there's a lot of studies that say by the time a male who is addicted to drugs hits like his early 30s he just stops right No I didn't know those studies but that mm. was that was when I I you know I yeah. I was at a point where I wasn't going to I had tried to kind of stop doing these silly things right um, and self-destructive things on my own and it mm-hmm. sort of frequently ended in failure Right. But it wasn't, you know, abstinence wasn't the cure. It was about having, I needed to have an alternate. I needed to have something to fill that hole. Sure. And I found that in, you know, friends and work and family and, and connections. Taking, and, yeah. And taking care of myself. It was a completely like, it was a complete lifestyle change. Sure. It had, you know, nothing to do with, it had very little to do with abstinence. The abstinence part Absolutely. was sort of breaking that cycle of, mm-hmm. of, of use. Yes. And you know, that, that was what was ultimately very important, but exactly. you know, ag- again, and to bring this back to nicotine and this entire sure. conversation, you know, we're right back to the sort of narrow uh, view that nicotine by itself is responsible for all of this harm that ignores all of the other issues. You have people coming from various, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds who are inclined to use mood altering substances. Cigarettes and other tobacco products and vapor products are going to be on that list. And it's not because it's not solely because of pretty colors and expensive marketing and seeing it in movies or whatever. Those are not the main, those are not the driving forces behind somebody making the decision to pick up a cigarette, a drink or a drug. 
it's a combination of influences and focusing solely on one component, I think actually dilutes the conversation. It ignores the rest of these influences and ultimately misinforms people and harms them. Right. And I realize I'm putting a whole lot on that cigarette. <laughs> We're yeah. piling a whole lot onto this, but it really is a multi-dimensional conversation here. And uh, to be, you know, perfectly honest, it, it's sort of like FDA has taken two steps forward and two steps back. It's, it's, we're not going to gain much ground, I think, politically and socially, unless we expand this conversation to include all of these, um, all of these factors. And uh, the focus on nicotine alone is, I think, going to uh, ultimately cause some, some harm. Sure. Um, and it's one of the reasons why, you know, I've been, I've, you know, we have been pushing this. Uh, it's, it's not just a narrative. It's, it's a reality of why the vapor shop is so important. Right. Um, you know, certainly people can go online and find that kind of community support, but, but not everybody. A lot of people really do need to stand face to face with somebody and, and talk. Sure. Um, and, and that, that has been found in the vape shop, in meetups, you know, it's yeah. one of the reasons, it's one of the reasons why people go to these vapor conventions. It's they not, go to gatherings. Yeah. yeah I, I can go, remember. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say, I can remember my first vape meetup. There were like 24 of us in a room and I was, my mouth was hanging open. I'd never seen <clears throat> so many people like me before. Yeah, and and that was it was huge, and these were people from all walks of life that I might never have met anywhere else, and it was amazing. Everybody was supportive of each other and kind to one another, and um, yeah, I think that support system really helps, and you feel an immediate connection with people that you have that in common with. And you're right; that's why the gatherings are so big. I think, at least for the older vapors probably not so much for the younger vapors yeah the 20 somethings i'm sure are showing up for um well what used to be free product um but not anymore no <laughs> <laughs> maybe now it's cheap product but right whatever so yeah it, it is it is a very um you know smoking at one point used to be a very social experience and yes. then they 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 divide and con divided and conquered. Um, but now with vaping, we should be able to come back inside and, 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 and have meaningful conversations with one another again. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's ultimately, you know, a, a component that's, of the, of the point. Um, so that's the goal, right? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this, you know, FDA education campaign is, is, is concerning and the announcement about it is concerning in particular um, looking at the, uh, they're sort of repeating uh, what, what I, I believe is a lie. I, I, I just, I mean, scientifically, I don't know how you actually prove this, but right. um, the, the statement is that since its launch in February, 2014, 
the FDA's real cost campaign has proven to be successful with a recent evaluation concluding that the campaign prevented nearly 350,000 youth aged 11 to 18 nationwide from initiating smoking from 2014 to 2016. I don't know so, how how they would <clears throat> track that. Maybe pledges, you know, like um, <clears throat> the anti-promiscuity groups have the, the kids sign all these pledges and, and they give them rings and stuff. Like but a promise think, ring? Yeah. I wonder if the FDA does something like that similar with their, their in-school education programs. Yeah, I'm not really sure, and and I don't know if um, if they actually followed, you know, five hundred thousand <laughs> youth from a like a, like a cohort study. Is right. that what it is? You you actually track people through right. a two year period and yes. find out you know where they where they are on the other side, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, or, or I don't exactly know. I know that this study has been looked at and and to some extent debunked. Um, it's it's probably a little bit more valid than some other stuff that's been done in this area, but it's still, right. you know, it's it's one of those things that's sort of impossible to find out how effective a media campaign has been, right. at least, you know, down to like, you know, specific kind of numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very least, this should be prevented. This should be presented as, you know, we estimate that 350,000 youth, blah, blah, blah. Um, but right. that's a pretty weak way to put that statement out there. So, they're just going to go all in and say, look what we did. We did. Yeah. We definitely, we definitely did this. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, the fact that the FDA continues to spout this. Um, oh, wait, there's a link for the recent evaluation. Oh, there you go. Um, that should maybe give you some more information. It's a CDC study. Oh. Or the CDC.gov put it up there. Right. Um, so yeah, there's some some probably some insights there, but I, I just I I remember some some people in in this space looking at this and saying, yeah, there's really no way that you can you can measure that at least not not that precisely. Right. Um, so uh, if they I remember guesstimate. correctly, yeah, yeah I, um, so yeah, no, they looked at a nationally representative cohort study of youths, uh, N equals 5,185. That would be the number of participants, right? Mm, N equals? Yeah. Is N, N the number of people that participated in the study? No, N is so many people. I believe N is so many people for that amount. Does that make sense? That they used a representative sample. Nationally, yeah, nationally representative right, right. cohort study of youth. So I don't think they followed that many people. I think maybe they picked a certain percentage of it. Okay. So, okay. yeah, they found a number and then they multiplied it by X and they got 350,000. Yeah. Basically, yeah. So um, that's basically an estimate as far it's, as I'm concerned. And it's I'm, I'm estimation. I'm not either, but to get really precise numbers, you have to get somebody in for lab work, I believe. Or somebody like face-to-face to physically interview, I think. But, you know, that's just, that's just my opinion. And I'm not a scientist. And I certainly don't work for the CDC. 
Yeah, I could read this. I'm sure you could read this and, and get into it and get angry. But um, so, yeah, and basically the number itself is is sort of it's it's not entirely baseless. It's just not people should not be convinced by that. And, and folks should not be presenting that as FDA's real cost campaign definitely prevented 350,000 kids from picking up smoking. Yeah. There's that's just really it is extremely difficult, near impossible to uh actually mm -hmm. prove so um anyway um so we have that to look forward to i'm sure some really just unbearable memes to be coming <laughs> out of the fda in the coming weeks and months uh regarding uh or filled with misinformation about e-cigarettes and oh, the yeah. other thing the other thing that I, I i really uh that drives me nuts about this nonsense is that even though FDA puts this out there as this is an this is an education campaign targeted at children. Right. There is undoubtedly some spillover to adults. Of course, there is. Number one, it's, you have kids coming home from school saying, "Mom, Dad, that vaping stuff is killing you." Yeah. And number two, adults who are thinking about switching to these products are looking at it and saying, "Wait, this is going to rewire my brain so that I'll want to do drugs. Uh, I think I'll just stick with cigarettes." You know, right. like that doesn't sound like a, a statement you would, you know, a, a rational person doesn't say those things, but you know, it, it's, it, it's so, part whoever of our, accused, it, whoever accused the government of being rational. Yeah. And it's, it's a part of our brain that says, you know, there's a bit of a panic in there. Like this information is being pre presented to you and saying that these products are dangerous. Right. It, it, it doesn't, there's not much regard for how old you are. It's just saying these products are dangerous. Don't use them. Yep. And, and that message is what an adult smoker ultimately will. They have to work extra hard now to yep. undo that programming. Yep. Um, and, and so uh, very concerned about oh, yeah. the FDA's campaign. And um, yeah, I, I don't, it, it, I, I can't remember if I, I'm not sure if there is some sort of, comment option on these types of campaigns um but uh it, it's certainly something for i think everyone specifically us to look into yes. uh, as to whether or not we can actually uh, engage engage with the agency and and tell them why this is a bad idea um yeah so i but agree anyway yeah, it's a, it's a great idea. Boy, boy, we need more work for you already, Alex. <laughs> I just, yeah, I love giving myself assignments. It's it's wonderful. Like, I don't have enough on my plate already. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, so I think I've, I've sufficiently beaten those two topics into the ground. Um, and uh, on, on such a delightful note, I think, uh, I think I'm done for this week. Okay. Well, you know, um, as terrible uh, as as hearing some of the stuff was, it's still good to get it out there, shine the light on it. Yeah. Otherwise, it just kind of sits there in the dark, and nobody knows about it, and nobody knows that they should be commenting on it, or or why their kids are coming home saying this stuff to them. Well, you know, now you know why. And yeah, I, I definitely think there's probably a way to engage with them and that's something to look into i'll 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 see if i can find something about that how's about that how about i take that off your plate is that helpful 
That'd be awesome. Okay. <laughs> so I'll look into that later on, you know. Okay. Um, thank you for everything you do for us, Alex. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Sounds good. Okay. Have All a right. great night. Thanks, okay. you too. Thank you. You can get CASA's updates by going to CASA.org and looking for the icon that says CASA podcast. Um, that will show you our RSS feed, our RSS feed that you can import into your podcast player, and they show in reverse descending order. Um, you can go to SoundCloud and search for CASA Media, and you can subscribe there and import them into your podcast feed that way if you'd like. Or you can go to the Apple Podcast Store and look for Kasa Media and get our updates there and import them into your favorite podcast application. And it will pop up and let you know when we have a new podcast out so you always know the latest about what's going on and what Kasa is doing. Thank you for listening.